highest, from the furthest to the nearest, from the smallest of the smallest to the greatest of the greatest. Yoga is about all of life, everything we do, all of existence. My name is James Bogue. Welcome to the Whole Life Yoga Podcast. Today, the topic is freedom. Big word. And yoga wants to set us free. But free from what? Sometimes when people hear that Yoga is all about freedom. They think I'm going to be able to free to do whatever I want. But this isn't really quite that type of freedom. It's more the freedom from our compulsions. So can we be free to enact the guidance of our deepest intuitive intelligence, of our conscience? Unfiltered, unimpeded by the conditioned ideas, by the affiliations, allegiances, senses of identity that we may have adhered to or accrued over the years. Instead, can we be free to act appropriately, to act with true propriety in the sense of what is proper to us in this or that particular moment, in such a way that whatever we do, however we act, it feels completely attuned. There is no discord at any layer of our being free to express the unique beauty that we really are. Because let's remember, yoga is about becoming fully human, expressing and embodying our unique self. We are not machines. We are not automatons. We are here, from a yogic perspective we could say this, we are here to enact our unique expression. From the perspective of yoga, all of this manifest existence is for the purpose of consciousness, to learn, to relish, to experience, and ultimately to become free again. <laughs> In other words, to have the opportunity to taste its infinite creative potential. And because consciousness has this infinite creative potential, it does not want you to be like anybody else. Nature does not make duplicates. Nature deals in originals, and we are part of nature, and each of us is an original. So let us become it. Let us be it fully. This is what yoga seeks to facilitate. This, of course, is a path that requires honesty and courage. To not follow the crowd, to not try and fit one's idiosyncratic shape into the convenient square or circle hole that society has perhaps offered us or proffered to us. No, yoga says your idiosyncratic unique shape is fine. Become it more fully, be it in a disinhibited way, and then, then you will be able to display the unique beauty that resides and pulsates in you and is waiting to spring forth. And in this sense, being free, sometimes people say, there's a song that I, I like, I think the, or the uh, author, the composer or the artist is Sam Garrett. And he sings a song, I sing like the birds, I grow like the trees. I sing like the birds and I grow like the 
trees. I choose to live in love. I am joy. I am ease. And he goes on to sing Om Shri Lakshmi Mahadevi Namaha. So he's singing to Lakshmi, goddess who symbolizes, amongst other things, the beauty and the glory of the power of nature. So I sing like the birds and I grow like the trees. Now one time I was sharing this song and a gentleman commented, he says, yeah, it's a beautiful song, but you know, I want to sing like a human being and I want to grow like a human being because yes, I can learn from the trees. I can learn from the birds. They, like everything else in nature, can be my gurus, my great teachers, but I'm not supposed to be like them in terms of trying to become a tree or trying to become a bird. I need to be like them in the sense of learning to be unapologetically, disinhibitedly my whole true authentic self. So when we sing, I sing like the birds, don't try and do a cheap, cheap, like mimic bird song, no. Sing with the same freedom that the bird sings your song, your human song, and grow like the trees. How does the tree grow? It grows according to its environment, of course, but it also grows into its own unique expression within that context. So, for example, if I am <laughs> a mango tree and you're in the tropics, people love mango trees, yeah? Mango, amazing fruit, but people love jackfruit trees too. Wow jackfruit, another amazing fruit. So imagine there we are, we're a mango tree, and across the way there's a jackfruit tree. And we see somebody, like the mango tree is often, there's a lot of uh, coverage, branch coverage around the trunk, and jackfruit trees, every tree is different of course, and there's a big diversity of the shape of uh, jackfruit trees, but some jackfruit trees it's easy to approach the main trunk. So let's say you're a mango tree, and over there somebody goes up to the jackfruit tree and it's providing this beautiful shade and they hug the tree and they say thank you to the tree and the mango tree is thinking you never come and gives me a, a, a hug and says thank you even though I give them all those hundreds of gorgeous fruits every year no the mango just carries on soaking up the sun and transmuting the gifts of the sky and the sunlight and the earth and the soil and all of those nutrients down there into this amazing fruit and when the people come and pluck the mangoes and they have a big mango party because it's mango season, does the jackfruit thing. They never put a party on for me, even though I give them fruits all, all times of the year, never mind just this seasonal bonanza of the mango tree. No, the jackfruit tree is disinhibitedly its jackfruit self and the mango tree is disinhibitedly its mango self. So to be like the trees and the birds, one way we can understand this is let us be fully disinhibitedly ourselves. And this is freedom. To not have to be what we think we should be or we have to be because somehow we got attached to a particular idea of what box we should fit in. No, human beings are not made to fit into boxes. We did not evolve to fit into boxes. Any attempt to force us into confinement and boxes, in my opinion, is really a crime against humanity, is a sin against life. That's not what we're here for. We're here to express our uniqueness. And this is the type of freedom that yoga invites us into. Now, what gets in the way of it? Why are we not free, if we, even if we think we are? Because often 
Where do we act from? Do we act in freedom? Do we have unchanneled, unimpeded access to the light of our conscience? Or do we often lapse into habits that may actually be self-sabotaging, that may not serve our higher interests? Do we sometimes act, react, respond in ways that are not coming from our deeper intelligence, but are just what we think we should do and have become accustomed to doing, or what we're scared not to do? Mm. <laughs> if I ask myself that question, I think, yeah, yeah, I'm not always as free as I would like to be or as I might think I am. It takes courage to admit that we are living in a prison that we have helped construct. But once we acknowledge and admit that, then we're empowered to move towards freedom. How is it that we get so imprisoned? Well, yoga says, when you notice it, don't be hard on yourself because it's altogether understandable because you're a human being. And when you come out of the womb as a human being, what do you start to experience? When we come out of the womb, we experience change and limitation. We look out at the world and what is happening? It's always changing and things are limited. Even the things that seem to last a long, long time, like a mountain range, they too eventually crumble and fall. They erode. Their lifespan is very long compared to ours, but everything in nature is born, will die. And in between those two great changes, we'll be subject to constant change. And the same goes for us. As long as we identify with the bodily vehicle that is made of the changing stuff of nature. But yoga suggests, and the Indic schools of understanding suggest, that actually that's not who we really are. The bodily vehicle is constituted of the instrumental powers of our minds, our bodies, our sense powers that help us experience life. But life itself and our capacity to witness it is something subtler, deeper, more foundational, fundamental, that underlies everything, that enables everything. So at our deepest essence, we are the consciousness that sees, that experiences, and all that is seen experience that can be witnessed that cannot be us if i can see it that cannot be me because i'm seeing it but nonetheless we get identified with the things that we see including our body including our senses including our thoughts and our mental habits and our attitudes what does this mean when we start to be identified with change and limitation what happens to our sense of self we feel a little bit insecure so we've developed this false sense of self i'm this body i'm these thoughts i'm this role when really not, that's not the case with the underlying conscious essence. But we get, our idea about ourselves gets wound up with this limited, false sense of self. And so I'm identified with this tenuous bodily vehicle. Beautiful and miraculous though it may be, the bodily vehicle is only going to be around for a short period of time. And it's relatively fragile, however well we look after it. And so because of this tenuousness of our incarnate form, we get a little bit insecure. And so we want to bolster that sense of security. And so what happens? We develop, or we, let's say, reinforce our sense of self through our preferences, our allegiances. I like this, I don't like that. I'm a person who thinks this, I'm not that. And we get identified with all these false identities, these false affiliations and allegiances. 
And when we experience something pleasant, agreeable, what do we tend to want? More. And when we experience something unpleasant, disagreeable, we tend to want to avoid it, to have less of that. And so this is described in Sanskrit by two very beautiful words, raga and dvesha. Now raga is very beautiful. It comes from the verb root runge, which means to die, D-Y-E. So if I have a pleasant experience, like it dies my awareness, it makes an impression that is very favorable in my awareness. So yoga recognizes everything that we experience, every action leaves an impression. If that impression is pleasant, agreeable, nice, we tend to want more. It leaves a rose-tinted impression on the lenses of our awareness. If, however, we experience something and it's not at all pleasant, it's very disagreeable, then that leaves a swampy uh, tinted impression on the lens of our awareness. And look at the word here, dvesha. Dva means two. We want to stay separate from those things if we don't like them. No, I'd rather not be having much to do with that thing. Thank you very much. So raga and dvesha. The rose-tinted impression, the swampy-tinted impression. We have an impression of something, and if it's very favorable, do we see that thing? Do we interact with that thing accurately, necessarily? Maybe not. To give an example, two of us could go to the re same restaurant on the same evening and have the same dish. One of us has a beautiful evening. We're there with some dear friends. We have lots of fun. The waiter's super charming. We really enjoy the food. It reminds us of beautiful memories of our youth when we used to live in Italy or Thailand or Japan, whatever the cuisine is, for example. And we have a lovely, lovely evening. How do we feel about that restaurant? about that item on the menu, oh yes, we see it in a very favorable light. If we're in the same area again, we wanna have a nice night out, a nice meal out, we might go back there without a second thought. Somebody else in the same restaurant has an unpleasant evening. Maybe they're breaking up with their intimate partner <laughs> or they've had some big loss in their life. They've gone out and they're trying to console themselves. They order the food, they don't enjoy it. They just don't gel well with the waiter and he overcharges them, they get upset, they have a dispute as the bill is being settled, and then the person gets home, and mm, it's not just the bill that didn't settle easily, the food doesn't seem to be going down very nicely, and then the person has a horrific night, not much of it spent in bed, but most of it spent mm, in an unpleasant, situ a painful situation in the toilet. That person gets a very negative impression, printed around perhaps that restaurant and that dish. Will that person want to go back to that restaurant if they want a nice night out? Highly unlikely. Everybody else in the restaurant had a great evening. <laughs> Lots of people got the rose-tinted impression, but that particular person had the swampy impression. And so, do we see things as they are? Not always. We tend to see things through the accretions of our impressions through all of the accumulated layers of our positive and not so pleasant experiences. And so it affects the way we see. So maybe you're familiar with that beautiful French song, La Vie en Rose, and it's very indicative of what happens when we get that very beautiful impression. 
Quand il me prend dans ses bras, il me parle tout bas, je vois la vie en rose. Il me dit des mots d'amour, des mots de tous les jours, et ça me fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon cœur une part de bonheur dont je connais la cause. C'est lui pour moi, moi pour lui dans la vie. Il me l'a dit, la j'aurai pour la vie. perçois, alors je sens en moi mon cœur qui bat. And on the song goes. But notice that last part. Dès que et dès que je l'aperçois, alors je sens en moi mon cœur qui bat. As soon as the singer, who is singing of her beloved, as soon as she sees him, as soon as she comes into proximity with him, What happens? As soon as she perceives him, her whole organism changes. Her heart starts to beat differently. She feels wonderful. And she sees la vie en rose. She sees everything through the rose-tinted spectacles. Life is different when she's in his presence. Now, I know many people, including myself, who have had this experience at some point in life when you're in love and everything is rosy. But does that last forever? No. <laughs> I know there are, I, I do know a couple of pe couples who've been together for, you know, since they were very young, and they're just beautiful couples. It's really inspiring to be around them. But they are quite exceptional. Generally, the, those experiences of every, seeing everything rosy, they are followed by a bit of swampiness. So, The idea in yoga is, can we learn to see things free from the residual impressions of our previous experiences? Not to say we can't learn from experience, but can we be actually free to see things as they are, unprejudiced, unbiased, impartial, so we can actually see the fullness and be free to respond in the appropriate way, the way that is proper to all parts of ourselves attuning and aligning and then being able to resound in harmony whether the situation is pleasing, whether the situation is displeasing, can we meet it from a steady center? So rather than be whirling up on the wheel of fortune and then crashing down, instead can we learn to live in the hub of the wheel, in the center? So as life comes and goes, we can enjoy its comings and goings. We can appreciate them. We can learn from them. We can grow from them. And as we understand their comings and goings, as we observe, witness, see their comings and goings more deeply, more clearly, we become less susceptible to being pushed up and smacked down <laughs> by their vagaries, by their changing, and instead move through life from a steady center so we can relish it fully, savor all its beautiful, nourishing and 
educative flavors and deepen in the ways of freedom.